You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation brought to you by Go Wild. Now, as we all know, Go Wild is one of the fastest growing and most popular social media apps specifically for outdoorsmen, hunting, fishing, and so forth and so on. But recently, they have announced a partnership with Garmin Connect IQ app. Now, what this does, this is like an integration between both platforms. The Go Wild community members will have the ability to track and share robust digital stories ranging from automated archery shot counts, miles hiked, you know, whatever you do throughout the hunt, like scout, put up your tree stand. And this is the cool thing, biometric data collecting. Now, what, what that is, is let's say it's your heart rate. And it will track your heart rate, everything from when you see the big buck, as the big buck gets closer and closer, your heart rate starts to go up, you draw back, you shoot the deer, and then the deer runs away, and the app records all that, and you're able to see what your heart rate is throughout this entire process, and I think that's really cool, uh, along with all the other benefits and features of Go Wild, like tracking and documenting your hunt. So go to the website, timetogowild.com, or you can download the Go Wild app wherever you download your apps. So get outside. It's time to go wild. When it comes to the essentials of a hunt, a consulting trip, or our real estate business, a map is always a key component of it. And a high-quality map is a must. We don't dare step on a property for any of those activities without looking and understanding property boundaries, terrain, you know, what the habitat may be like, trying to get a full understanding of the property. Hunt Terror maps are that quality we're looking for, whether it be their Magna map, poster map, field map, mobile map. They've got it all for any situation. And topo overlay. They even have uh, grid, acre grid patterns on it so you can look at a food plot and get a pretty doggone good idea of just how big it is with the acreage overlay. A lot of great tools, and uh, you should definitely check them out at HuntTerra.com. All right, we're going to jump right into this Habitat Heroes podcast. We have a special guest with us. Um, 
but we have one announcement to make before we jump into that podcast. Which precludes, yeah, this this guest, really. I mean, it's it's a, a cool announcement. We're certainly looking forward to having um, the opportunity to interact with you guys, and we're going to do that by having an event called After Hours with Land Legacy at the NWTF convention, February 16th, which is the Saturday evening um, after the show closes. Uh, we have a room, and this event is sponsored by Pure Air Natives, but it'll be at 6 o'clock, Bayou Room C. Meet us there. We're going to have a, everything's free, free seminar, but a seminar we've never done before. I don't yep. think we even know really the topic yet. We're just going to leave it open. Well, we know the topic. We just don't know how it's all going to flow. So, yeah, you guys kind of have an idea of, well, you have an idea of how we manage and do all this. But this this one, since we're at NWTF, yes. it's in February. It's not going to be as focused on, so you may think that some of our seminars are built around how to kill a big buck. But this nope. one's more on native habitat and overall habitat improvement and land and landscape arch- architecture, all, um, that all that stuff that we talk about on the podcast. A tentative name, Ruling the Roost with Native Species. Yeah, that's... There we go. Yep. But we'll tie it all in. Um, natives, turkeys, everything you could think of being a great presentation. I, th- I believe we're going to have food there. Yep. And then there will be a live Q&A afterwards um, that we're going to record for a podcast. So yes. definitely have an opportunity to um, interact, get everyone on the podcast who's got questions. Um, so if you are attending the event or are considering attending... Even if you're NWTF, in the area. Yeah. Stop by. And this... Did we say this is the Gaylord? This yep. is at the Gaylord Operating Hotel. So right there where um, the NWTF convention is being held, find where Bayou Room C is it, and we'll be there 6 o'clock. Saturday evening, February That's 16th. Right. The end of the show. We're going to be going in there and having it. And, I mean, we don't really have a time for it. I think they gave us a room from 6 to 10. So 6 to 11. 6 to 11. So we can be in there for as long as you guys really want until you're just sick of us. Until Pick you're so sick of native habitat yeah. that you're ready to go home or go back to the hotel room. So come join us. Uh, we are going to have some giveaways. Yep. We're going to – basically, it's just a great time to hang out and talk. Hang out, talk, chat. Um Number two, there will be a, a Facebook event as well uh, for for this. Yeah. So we'd encourage you and ask you, um, if you're interested and are definitely coming, to go onto um, the Facebook page, Land Legacy, and click yes, interested, or coming to the event. So we just have a, a heads up of um, the number of people who are going to be there. But we're certainly looking forward to it. Kind of long long overdue of, of doing a kind of an event like this for, for people who are listening, but we're going to be there. Hopefully, a lot of you all will be there as well. Love to interact with you. And one more thing. Oh, okay. Check out our Facebook group. Oh, yes. Don't don't overlook. You know, there's a lot of Facebook groups on 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 Facebook, obviously. Um, That's convenient. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of groups on Facebook uh, that are kind of talk, um, land management, different stuff. Uh, but we created one to where basically we want to – we've got a lot of – we're building a list of uh, credible um, contributors to and admins and and administrators to where we can kind of keep it to a very um, land habitat native habitat um, conservation minded Facebook group. And so it's, it's very much a focused in on things that people are doing across the country to improve their land. So go check it out. 
It's called, you can find it through our Facebook page, um, Land and Legacy, and then go to groups, or you can just search on Facebook, Land, Wildlife, and Conservation Community. Absolutely. It'll be a great place because of the the setup um, to get really credible information and, and learn about different techniques people are using across the country. We're going we're gonna to have uh, people in kind of strategic locations um, to be um, adding their two cents into this, this group. So we encourage you to join the group, um, become a part of it. We're going to be sharing posts and stuff in there as well, of course. Um, so hopefully you guys will check out the event on the Facebook page, the new group, and then join us February 16th, 6 o'clock, Bayou Room C, Gaylord Opryland Hotel, for our after hours seminar and social. All right, welcome to Land of Lakes Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. And we have another Habitat, is it? Are we going to make this Habitat Heroes Podcast? I think, Might as I well. Think we ought to. And so uh, it's. Obviously, uh, we have this thing so planned out. Yeah, absolutely. And we have a returning guest from months ago, um, but you'll ex- you'll hear why we're. While we're meeting up here, this is exciting times. If you guys haven't heard, it's we're right in the heat of planting season. Uh, right. We are we are hardcore planting, and and you guys should be too. And you're now wondering, looking at your thing, going, "Is this an old podcast, new podcast? Like what? No, no. I, this, this is I, January. I, why am I? Why are they talking about planting season? It's January. You guys are crazy. Yes, but we, we have returning guest, um, Justin Adams from Pure Air Natives. I thought you bit. forgot my name there for a well, second. Well, you know what's funny? <laughs> I know your name. I know your first name for sure. But I have to always think about it because I've got Justin Lawson right. from QDMA. QDMA. He was right. And we've yeah, got last week. Justin Adams here. i got another friend that's Justin Adams. And uh, and so I'm like always trying to like when I'm when I, between you and Justin Lawson because I talk to you guys and it's like, wait, no, which QDMA, Pure and A's, Pure. Okay, I got well, it sorted and, out. And we've got a Justin over at uh, Stratton Seed too. That's right. So that's right. There's, there's Justins all around you. That's that, right. That's a sign of success. That, for sure. Some yeah. would say. Well, today we had <laughs> we had three mats involved. That was tough. That was a project. So I guess to give a little bit of an explanation, we are here. Justin Adams from Pure Air Natives is here with a couple other guys from Pure Air Natives. We are in Webster County, Missouri, at a. Um, landowner's property, Matt Miles, um, who's a outdoor photographer and uh, kind of a nature photographer. So mm-hmm. Landscape um, scenes, wildlife of all shapes and sizes. Very knowledgeable of the native habitat, too. Uh, yeah. Does an awesome job at documenting landscape scenes really across the country, but has recently focused right here in the Show Me State in Missouri. That's right. And uh, he this is actually his home property or going to be his home property. And he is working with you guys at Pure Air Natives to plant a six-acre field, mainly, I guess, predominantly the pollinator blend, correct? Predominantly is the monarch pollinator blend, yes. So he's he's actually involved with the uh, NRCS program called Equip, and <clears throat> they've got a, a six-acre monarch-specific habitat that we're planting today, as well as two acres of warm-season grasses. That's right. And so it's kind of an interesting spot. It's right up next to the highway, um, but kind of a north-facing slope. And uh, it, it was th- this is what's so exciting and cool to me. So this is going to be um, his home site, but this property and this specific field was 
kind of old field fescue pasture. Um, of course, as an outdoor photographer, avid hunter, and just a naturalist, I guess, if he wants to be called that, um, he well, wanted to see we'll, it go we'll back into a uh, kind of a native type, more scenic, more aesthetic, but also, most importantly, more pleasing to the wildlife and land. And so right now we have this huge push, and Justin, I'll ask you to talk about this a little bit, but there's this kind of huge push for the pollinator species, specifically for the monarch butterfly. And uh, why is that? Well, the, there's talk of, of uh, the monarch butterfly being put on the endangered species list. And, and the reason, the main reason for that is loss of habitat, right? So yeah. monarch butterflies migrate from deep in Mexico, maybe even further south than that. I'm not 100% sure, but all the way through the United States and up into Canada. So it's a, it's a very big migration pattern. And part of the monarch butterfly's um, survival is the species of milkweed. There's several different varieties of milkweed. There's butterfly, there's common, there's swamp, there's world. There's several different kinds of milkweed. So the monarch butterfly um, needs that species in order to survive. So what the government has done with these uh, USDA NRCS programs has come in and said, we want to establish more monarch habitat in the migration zone. So that for Missouri is the western side of Missouri and you can come in and install some of these species into your prairie and it's going to provide that habitat and more importantly it's going to provide the habitat at the right time that's very important because the monarch butterfly is only migrating through at a certain time and if your species are not pollen are, are not in bloom at that time that it doesn't do the monarch butterfly any good so that's right that's what these programs are very specific and detailed to that and and on top of the the uh, milkweed species that are in the pollinator blend as well, there are 20 other species of native forbs and wildflowers that are going to provide, um, you know, for the pollinators, bees, birds, butterflies. That's correct. Yeah. And a, a little <coughs> bit of grass mixed in with the slope. I think the grass is kind of to help establish and, and get established earlier to where it benefits the uh, the flowers, the pollinators in the long run. Sure. Uh, yeah. What... At what percentage have you guys seen change in the last few years with this emphasis on pollinators? Like, I know deer hunters, everybody wants to plant native grasses, but have you seen a big change? And I know you've only been at Pure Air Natives a few years, but um, at what have, are you seeing a more because of the because of the increase in chances for these uh, government programs? Are you guys actually seeing the seed going in the ground? You know, we are, and. Um I would say probably if you're looking for one, um, you know, specific mix that's probably beneficial to all the species out there from, you know, from small mammals to large mammals and, and game species here in Missouri, you know, birds, butterflies, bees, pollinators, insects, the whole, everything from the soil up, it's going to be the monarch blend or it's going to be the pollinator blend. And the more research that goes into that, the more benefits that are found through uh, healthier soil, through cleaner water, cleaner air, all those things come from a, a diverse uh, species, a diverse mix like this that gets planted in the ground. So um, you're starting to see programs utilize this for a lot of different um, solutions to better the uh, environment, the habitat that you're doing. So you'll get a lot of uh, cattle ranchers who have a half an acre and they want to plant pollinator mix. You'll get a lot of um, upland game bird hunters that want to plant pollinator mixes. You'll get um, even deer hunters and turkey hunters because the bedding cover that it provides, the, the security, the, the browse that it provides for the whitetails. So you're going to get a very large um, 
swath of people that want to plant pollinator or monarch mixes because it is so beneficial and, and that's definitely been uh, on the rise for sure at what acreage with some of the other um, government programs you kind of get prioritized you get kind of put in mm-hmm. a list where the amount of acreage um, that that is available or that you're willing to increase um, and actually put into that program and so like guys that are like oh, I have an acre or whatever Sometimes they don't qualify for these big sure. big uh, programs because, frankly, they're lower on the list of people that are going to make a bigger impact. Is there more people, um, since the pollinators, they're trying to get as many acres as possible, is there a chance for a guy who, let's say, has got an acre to qualify for the pollinator? No, that's, uh, a, that's a great question, and, and the simple answer is yes. Um, <clears throat> so every, every county, every USDA soil center has um, – you know they're they're responsible for trying to put together programs for their county, and every county is slightly different. Um, some of the funds available for different programs they pay out different in certain areas, right? But nobody at these organizations they don't want a 300 acre field of pollinators or monarch species. They want to break up the habitat. So there's a lot of people that qualify and they're getting contracts for one acre or even half an acre, you know, one and a half acres. So there's a lot of different habitats, you know, polka dotted throughout the the state and a lot of other states, I'm sure as well. So, um, no, you don't have to have a large piece of property to qualify and uh, and be awarded a contract. And I think that's where a lot of guys could be like, man, I only have a half acre or a full acre or whatever, and I, I want to make it more beneficial to my deer. And so they're like, call up or, are there any programs to improve my deer habitat? And it's like, well, you know, you can do a pollinator mix, probably better qualify or a better chance at qualifying, and it still benefits your deer. But you're just because it's called pollinator some of us may say ah i'm not really worried right. about the flowers it's super easy to overlook all oh you stuff. are still back there I'm back here we're <laughs> it's cold today and we're on site and we're all snuggled up in a pickup truck and i'm in the back well, seat left we're not snuggled here. up we're sitting in Speak the driver's seat <laughs> with the center console in between the passenger seat so just to clarify people probably got a weird image right you know there, see, yeah. see well last week he said something like silly or something like that and i'm like man people are gonna start thinking we're weird he says, you know what we'll have silly. to we'll, we'll have to take a selfie and put it in the show notes so that everybody <laughs> can right. see the, the plenty right. of space everyone has their own yeah their own space Sn- own silly last week snuggled this week yep next well, week yeah I can only imagine. Go ahead, Matt. Just wait. Yeah, it's going to be wild next week. Get to your um, point. Now go to, go to it. <laughs> the point is we got to think outside the box sometimes when, when we're talking um, programs and talking long-term goals. Um, you know, we like to look at things differently, you know, from a consulting standpoint of, okay, let's, let's offer something that the habitat, the greater habitat outside of your property um, doesn't offer and, and then we're able to see limited resources and add those to properties and same thing goes for these pollinator mixes is right you know you might be a, a turkey guy or a deer guy but you think pollinator what does that have to do or tie in but it is a humongous um, benefit and, and we just have to look at the long-term goals of what properties may be needing lacking um, and truthfully pollinator blends fill a ton of voids in, in a yearly system yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to find you're not going to find a program that says, you know, here we're going to we're going to sponsor and put together, a, you know, some funds for you to go out and put in a food plot. You know, they're they're not specific to that. They're they're 
much more broad and they want a, a, a better ecological impact than putting in a food Definitely. plot or, or putting in something like that. So, yes, there's programs that are going to benefit whitetails and turkeys. They don't necessarily call them that because you're, you're looking for something like a pollinator mix is is going to benefit everything across the board. There's no missing check marks in that when you're looking for something, whereas a food plot isn't beneficial for everything you know, from the bottom up, it's, no. there's, there's holes in that mm, in several sure. places. So, you know, when we're talking about increasing habitat and being beneficial, you got to look at every species, not just, you know, the one that you're out hunting. And, and it's you look a, at the programs and, and their set, their goal, the big long-term goal for them is to improve soil, water, and air quality. That's why you have these programs that are, that are uh, delicate. And, well, and, and wildlife. Such, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's not just so specific as food plot. So right. let's look at today and say, okay, we've got six acres that was once fescue pasture. So really only provided uh, benefit to the cattle. There wasn't a whole lot of benefit for much else, especially native species and game species. Um, so we're converting it from what was very, very um, little benefit to now we have this high diversity how many species are we talking in this whole six acres uh in the entire mix is 23 23 species so we have um a long list but when we look at the benefits and i'll probably forget some because the list is long but let's start in the soil we're getting uh, deeper rooted plants and high diversity of root um basically root makeup so we're improving the soil structure and improving soil health because we have this diversity which brings in a diversity of microbes Um, plus they're going deeper so these are more adaptive for drought um, and they're much better for water infiltration so we take that from it's improving soil but then also we're looking at improving the water quality in this area Um, which and, and real quick to stop you there uh, is is very beneficial for this site specific property too mm-hmm. because we're planting on a slope that That's slopes right. down to multiple water sources down there for the wildlife and for the landowner as well so you know anything we can do to improve that water quality and get that infiltration as opposed to erosion from the fescue and any type That's right. of um, you know other issues you might have had so yeah, that's, that's absolutely a key focus on this property. And we have diversity of plants that are all native that are that do a lot of different things. And so big picture in simple terms, they're pulling a lot of carbon out of the air that's now going into the soil. So um, for all of our, uh, our, our, our environmentalist friends, and I'll even say I'm a little bit like that because I definitely care about the environment. That's a sure. big thing, getting carbon out of the air and it's back in the soil. Um, so... That's a big start. And then you look at, let's move right up to the above the ground. You have a high diversity of plants blooming at multiple times of the year. I think that's a big requirement for this program to where there's three species that bloom during early summer, midsummer, late summer, early fall to where it kind of hit that right. window to where the monarchs, there's always something blooming. So we have lots of blooms for the pollinators. Obviously, that's the name of this blend. So um, pollinator species, birds, bees everything has been at moths anything that's pollinator sure the whole insect circle is pollinator so all those coming in there go ahead there's gonna say there's what four thousand native uh, bees and and wasp pollinator species in in north america in the united states and you know a lot of those nest in the ground a a significant number uh, percentage of those nests in the ground so you're not talking about just honeybees or just bumblebees out there pollinating you're talking there's a, a 
laundry list of pollinator species. A lot of solitary bees. Yeah. Um, and I think I saw something the other day that I follow a bunch of different groups on Facebook, but one of them was about um, pollinators, and it said uh, the 4,000 species, mm-hmm. but it said honeybees are coloni- colonized across the globe. And right. so it was like they're probably going to be just fine when you compare it to the native species that are are really specific to certain right. areas of the country. And, and they really Plant need this high diversity of, of native pollinators. So all these insects brought in help pollinate, um, cross-pollinate all these right here, and then including gardens and fruit trees and, and sure. uh, crop fields around here. We've got some persimmons here on the property. Persimmons. I know there's a, an orchard with some peaches and some other uh, um, fruit and soft mass trees in, in very close proximity to the property. So. Yep. And Absolutely. so not only is these uh, are benefiting, but the neighborhood is benefiting. Um, in, uh, because of the increase in insects, now we have more food for northern bobwhite quail, um, turkeys, but all the other songbirds that aren't even on our list of game to hunt. Right. Um, and so they're all benefited. So now they have um, increase in food, but because of the structure, the bunch grass of, that we're planting or that you guys are planting and uh, – and the growth of the of the flowers, they now have cover, um, better structure for them, um, and then you lead that into now there's great cover and structure for mice, cottontail rabbits, um, rats, tons of rodents, tons of rodents, right. which now are bringing in more prey species for our our native predators like the coyote and the and the bobcat, and uh, which were here long before us, and they're always going to be here. So, right. but when we look at management, we could think about trapping, but another way to look at it is improving, in, increasing the amount of prey species that are here to where there's kind of a buffer, buffer prey, um, to where they're not chasing the white-tailed deer nearly right. as much, well, which is the way nature had it designed. Those small prey species reproduce at rapid rates where there should be tons and tons of them to where, um, you, the, pre, the prey spe- or predator species have plenty to eat. Right. Well, yeah. And you look at you you look at a predator too. Predators are opportunistic, right? They're mm, they're yeah. not holding out for a fawn. Yeah, they're, they're not, not they're not they're waiting not for that craving meal. a medium rare right. steak. Exactly. Or they're like they're not maybe. they're not picking and choosing what they're going to eat. They're going to find a meal and they're going to go after it. So, yeah, if a fawn is easy to find or or a buck or a doe is easy to find, they're going to take it down. You know, if they can find a uh, some poults or some you know some full grown mature turkeys, they're going to take them down if they can. But when you sprinkle all kinds of small mammals all across the landscape, they're going to find those a lot easier, a lot faster, and they're going to have a meal, and they're going to be less inclined to chase down. It takes a lot of calories and a lot of energy for a coyote to chase down a deer. And, and they don't typically, even when they're going after deer, they're not chasing the healthiest buck in the woods. Right. They're usually targeting the wounded or the weak, and uh, that's just how they work. And, so, and that's what you look at long term. That's really how a population withstands a healthy herd is the weak or the sick are removed. Um, the, so the speaking key, of, I'm, I'm going to tie into that real quick. The key to that, Justin, was the cover aspect that you're you're sharing. Um, they're easiest to find. Well, what we're doing is adding cover to the landscape, and that cover is directly related to the reproduction rates of all these buffer prey, and and they have a place to hide. In addition to adding all these other rodents and, and rabbits right. and everything, you know. These critters that everyone is, you know, talking about, 
white-tailed deer, fawns, um, turkeys, poults, quail, everything that people want to be more prolific, now they have a, a opportunity to hide where, again, this was just fescue or, right. or unmanaged timber, no succession. Um, you know, we're offering all these things. And, again, this is with one planting, one planting. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's your list of, of benefits, hopefully – we covered a majority of them. There's probably a few that we're forgetting. Yeah, you know, and one specifically I can tell you is, too, when when you're talking about insects, you're not talking about just just pollinator species where they're going to come in and, and they're going to, you know, use up the pollen and they're going to, you know, pollinate. That's what they do. But you're also talking about in the off-season when things aren't in bloom, the actual stems of these mm-hmm. species become homes for the insects. The flowers yeah. themselves become homes for these insects. and that then becomes food for these game birds and for these other songbirds and anything else out there. So it's not like these are just coming in when something's in bloom and then disappear in, you know, in the off season when nothing's blooming that they actually live inside the plants themselves. So, um, you know, it, it is beneficial year round in a mix like this. And when you plant this kind of diversity in your species, you're going to get, you're going to get the, the year round bedding and cover and you're going to get food source. I don't, quote me on this but i believe it's with turkey poults the first like six weeks of of life i want to say it's about 70 percent of their diet is insect based and and same thing with quail quail or quail during the summer months i mean it's incredible the dependency of insects for the reproduction and getting them to an age where they can uh fly and run and get you know hide with predators but if they have all that cover and insects food resources in areas like this their survival rates could be much higher. Yeah, that's much right. Higher. That's right. Yeah, and you can walk through a fescue field. You're not going to kick up a lot of grasshoppers and bugs, and there's you know, and, and there's there's nothing out there. There's it's very, it's very sparse, and that just can't sustain a population of game birds and and much else really. Well, and I, I think anybody who's ever planted, let's just say, because of uh, guys of some sort, at some point that plant food plots, have probably planted a milo or a millet or a sedan grass or something like that, and or a soybean field, and you know, in the in the winter or fall, you kind of walk out there and you see this like flush of birds, and you're like, oh man, yeah. you see all the birds. Like, this is stuff that happens on this on these pollinator sites a lot, even during the summer right. months, where you're like, man, it's just like there's a lot of life around here. There's a lot of creatures using this, and this is something that could happen year round in a bigger area than just your strip of Milo. And yeah, we're talking about bugging as we're looking out the window. We're seeing when we talked about fescue. And pastures, and and then you look at um, what's incorporated in there that's going to bloom and bring in insects and pollinators into a, a, a pasture-based system. Pretty much clover, and it's going to bloom spring, and and if it's mowed and maintained, it'll bloom a couple other times throughout the year. But we just compare that to the the, the um, mixture that's being planted right now. It is multiple species: spring, summer, fall, all blooming, and so you have a consistent base of those insects not just like one peak it's very it's very spread out so it's a consistent resource for these game animals to to thrive in and, and how excited for you know matt miles being a wildlife photographer to be able to walk oh, out his door yeah. and and take pictures at any time of you know, species right. out running around in his backyard front yard whatever we're calling this yeah area. yeah, yeah. And <laughs> to me we're kind of we're close to the boundary i think right here but you look out one side of our window and you see six-inch-tall um, fescue that's been mowed, 
probably multiple times. Mm -hmm. And then you look out the other side, and we have a field that's being planted in this pollinator native grass blend that you're like, man, the neighbors are probably like, what in the world is he planting over there? It looks weird. Um, and, and I mean, it's, and it's literally the difference between looking at a desert to wildlife to uh, sure. an oasis. And I, I just want to, you know, paint the picture real quick for the listener that as, as we sit in the truck huddled up, in, you know, not together, but huddled up in the warmth, <laughs> Huddle we a little look bit more manly than cuddling. Okay. It is. As we look out the window and watch the, the tractor and the drill go by, pass after pass, I'm sure they're trying to figure out what we're doing. But it is, uh, it was about 30 degrees when we got started. I think it's warmed up to 32, yeah. and uh, and about 20 mile an hour winds up here on this hill. So it's it, it's pretty chilly out. And you know, as you mentioned in the opening, that um, you know what what are we doing out here planting in this time of year? I sh- January and February are, are the ideal months to be planting in the Midwest to plant your native species. Native species get planted typically anytime after November 15th through, you can even get in through May with your warm season grasses and some other things. We've had success planting that late. Typically it stops around middle of March or end of March, depending yep. on conditions. But, um, you know, you, you don't see that. You're, you're right. The neighbor is confused going, what are they planting over there? It's not planting season. You're, That's right. You know, your soybeans, your corn, your typical cash crops and, and your flowers that you buy from the big box store and you want to put in the ground, they, they don't go in this time of year. So we are confusing some people out here, but this is, if you're out there and you're listening and you want to get something in the ground, now's the time to do it. I would That's say right. That, did we mention it's aesthetics? No. And that was a point I wanted to make Holy about cow. like how That's many guys huge. have a driveway. If you live on a piece of property, you have a driveway and you're like, man, my wife, I, I'd like to plant I'd like to do something, but I don't want the deer to be right up here next to the road. So you may just like, eh, I'll just, I'll just keep it mowed, and there's not really anything I can put out there, or I haven't really considered anything to benefit the wildlife. Um, pollinator today. blend is one of those. Th- yeah, until today, pollinator blend is one of those things that like, your wife will love it. Oh my gosh. Um, your kids will love it. Um, Maintenance free, pretty much. It's like basically. It's once you get established. Today, yeah. And they're going to do a couple of mowings, and I want to I want to discuss the planting techniques Absolutely. in a little bit. But outside of the initial prep and then the first year maintenance, there's some kind of preventative maintenance for uh, invasives down the road. But it's kind of one of those where you have this high diverse wildflower mix, uh, pollinator mix that you could have signed up for a government program depending on kind of your area. Um, but now you have something that is incredibly beneficial to the land but also amazing to, to look at. It's hard. If you're looking for something that's aesthetically pleasing, like top of the list of aesthetics top versus top of the list in wildlife benefit, useful acres. you'd be hard-pressed to find, to find something more beneficial. You know, we do get a lot of customers that call us and say, you know, we want to be planting this alongside the road or alongside the driveway or near the house. It's going to be seen. So, and and being the custom seed shop that we are, we can custom make a mix. So you get a a low profile, but still a very showy mix. So you're still going to get all those wildflowers to bloom, but you're not going to get six and seven foot tall stuff growing that's going to block a view or that's going to screen something out. And we have those species. There are several species of native wildflowers even that grow six, seven, eight feet tall. So we can create that screening with wildflowers. But on this particular property, uh, Matt's going to be, he's going to have a driveway that's probably maybe close to a quarter mile when it's all said and done. Now, he, he hasn't built a house yet here. The driveway's not in. So we're installing this this prairie 
and he's going to pull in and drive right through the middle of this prairie to get to his house. And so he's going to have wildflowers and this this entire mix that's going to surround him as you drive down and get to the house. This driveway we're sitting on right now is this a like secondary driveway that he'll be able to use too? Yeah, this is this is uh, secondary, and I think this is just more of the, the access to the property line. He's got okay. some uh, when they when they come in to build a home, they're going to bring all the heavy equipment and everything through this side. You know, I I hope that people are like, okay, all right, that sounds awesome. Those those mixtures, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with them. I, you know, I've or I've got the perfect site for that. I've always been wondering what to do with that kind of either odd area or I, I want to get my wife, my wife a gift for you know this coming year on get her out on the property more whatever it is let's uh, walk through the process here that matt's gone through to get this site prepped and ready and then what that uh next few years are going to look like for him sure now matt has uh just to give a little history on the property he's owned this i believe for 10 years now um and uh, hasn't really done anything. He's he's not a cattleman, so he doesn't have cattle out here. We talked about, you know, the fescue and, and what it was doing out here. And I think this has just basically been a uh, an old field that's been mowed, and that's essentially it. Um, but uh, for preparation for this, um, you know, again, being in the profession of, of outdoor photography, Matt wanted to take a few extra steps to make sure that this site was prepped really well before planting. And I'll say he's done an excellent job at that. Um but he probably took a few more steps than was absolutely necessary, too. Mm-hmm. So um, he went the extra mile. Yeah, he did go the extra mile. But but not every person that uh, that wants to plant something like this has to go this far. But specifically, he put in um, three different sprays to to kill off all the fescue and all the species out here of glyphosate. Uh, right. uh, yes, of glyphosate. From I believe he started in in the summer in a July. He got the first kill on. And then came back in, I want to say maybe October, and did it again. Now, on a on a site visit about four weeks ago, we were out here, and he still had a little bit of green, but it was very, very well done. And uh, we were pretty excited about it. I told him everything looked great. He had actually burned it as well. So he had two sprays and a burn mm. when, uh, when we were on the site. And it was excellent. I mean, it, it's a lot better to put in that work early and get that in there so that you establish the right foundation. I kind of equate it to to painting right if you don't if you're going to paint your house or paint anything really you got to do a lot of taping before you're really ready to paint and if you don't do that then you're going to have mistakes you're going to have errors and it's harder to fix that after the fact than it is before yeah get your sprays in get whatever you need to do if you if you don't like sprays and you got a big enough tarp and you're covering you know a, a big garden area put a tarp on it and kill the grass that way do whatever you need to do to kill out that fescue so there's no competition and then come in and what we've done is is uh, come out and run the drill through here and plant. It's it's really that simple. You come in and, you know, kill off the competition, eliminate that competition. Matt has done the burn, so that's added a little bit of, um, you know, again, a six-foot, or I'm sorry, six-inch tall fescue. We could have drilled right through it, no problem. But he wanted that extra soil, seed-to-soil contact just in case, so he went ahead and burned off that extra duff. If there was two-foot tall fescue out here, yeah, it, it needs to be mowed down or it needs to be burned off for sure. But if you've got 10 inches or less, you know, most no-till drills are going to go right through that, no problem. Yeah. Especially if it's already been killed off. So, you know, come through with a couple sprays, kill it off, and you're ready to plant. Now you can broadcast or you can drill it in. Um, in this case, we went ahead and brought the drill out and uh, made sure we got good seed-to-soil contact. Conditions are right where the ground is, uh, there's a little bit of moisture out here, but we're in... Uh, pretty good shape 
take a quick little pause as we look out as the tractor comes over close to the truck. <laughs> um, and then as far as maintenance to um, really help these species get along and get established, there's, there's a couple key factors with planting natives like this. Native forbs and wildflowers take a while to mature. And by a while, I mean a few years to fully mature to that right stage. So the first year, they're really establishing a deep root system, and that's going to be three, four, five, six, eight foot deep. By year two, you're going to start seeing blooms, and you're going to think, oh, okay, we, we made some progress, but those roots are still being developed. By year three, those roots are finished. You're going to really see a lot of above-ground growth, blooms. A lot of things are going to really go well year three. In that time period, you need to maintain that field so that you're not getting annuals or any undesirable weed species to come in and take over because annuals obviously grow faster, grow mm -hmm. quicker, and they can really take over while something has taken a lot of time to mature. So you want to get in there and do a couple of mowings a year. So you really, you don't want anything over growing over two foot tall, really. You want to kind of keep that down to eight, ten inches or so. So you do that a few times a year, and then by year three, you're really done. You are you can mow it once a year if you like. You can start burning it year four, five, and you're set. That easy. All that benefit and that easy. Yeah, I mean, because when we look at other, you know, types of habitat work that we can do, you know, the follow-up work, the, the additional herbicide, all that stuff with, with other projects, and you compare that to a food plot where you're planting multiple times a year, um, adding lime fertilizer to the soil, you don't have to do that here with the planting of the natives. So well, I it's think huge. That's it a is. good point because thank you. Um, <laughs> very rarely do I get to make that statement too. Um, I'll take it when I get it. My God, take no love. When you look at a time. when you look yeah. at a food plot, let's just say you're planting soybeans and and you're trying to establish so a good stand of soybeans on a on an acre, um, you need to do the soil test. You need to lime it and fertilize it and then buy the seed, and then you have the herbicide involved. And I think in Dr. Craig Harper's book, it's like th he, he averages out to like $300 an three, acre. 350 350 an acre. Mm -hmm. an acre. Um, let's look at native grass prep. You have the herbicide involved, of course, your time and stuff. But some of these blends that uh, we've worked with you guys to develop some blends, it was like 150 bucks per uh, for a bag that's supposed that, to be per acre. Yeah, for that edge feather blend. Yeah, oh, that's phenomenal too. And 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 one, I mean that's that's a one time seed cost. Plant it, and then you've got a little bit of mowing to try and keep some stuff at at bay. But for the most part, it's plant it, and then the occasional fire to keep kind of things sure. in check. But that's it. And so, so the initial sticker price is what I think a lot of people is like, "Ooh, natives now nah, no things." Compare um, it's, that to time. And other resources going into food plots over two years, it's way cheaper to do this. Yep. And, oh, and it uh, lasts like 20 plus years. Absolutely. Easy. easy. Yeah. If you continue to, to manage it appropriately, and it's so much. Easier. You know, we, we often get the question um, from different landowners, especially in the, in the um, you know, hunting world, because you're so used to fertilizing your food plots, right? We, <laughs> yeah. get, we get asked a question about fertilizing all the time. You don't, you don't want to fertilize native species when they go in the ground because they can't utilize that fertilizer right away like annuals and other weed species and, and undesirable species that can. You're going to actually hurt yourself if you try and fertilize it. So, no, don't spend any money on fertilizer. Plant the natives and let them, you know, take hold like they're supposed to and just keep the annuals and undesired knocked down or knocked out. And if you got to come in and spot spray, you know, do that too. 
you know, you just basically got to keep an eye on it, maintain it for a few years so that as those natives grow up and take over and can now outcompete the undesirable and the, you know, all the other annual species out there that you don't want, now you've got your stand established and it's just, you know, let Mother Nature do its thing. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's the other thing that, you know, what's cool about natives is they're native. Like, these are the site conditions. No kidding. Right? But it's it's super simple, though. But these are the site conditions that they're used to growing in. It's not like you have to add all this additional encouragement to get them ready to grow properly. Like, you plant it, and not that you walk away, but you, you plant it, and they're adapted to these conditions and to these soil types. And, of course, mixtures and stuff like that, um, you know, working with pure air. Let's say you live in the south. We they can tailor that seed mixture um, to your site-specific re- like region, cli- climate region, soil types, everything, um, to make it the most beneficial, most productive for your region. Well, yeah. and, and I'm glad you said that because I, I was recently having this conversation. Well, I love this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, me too. This, I loved it know, at the beginning when had... he sat in the back and didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, almost forgot he was back there. Yeah. Um, I ain't going anywhere, guys. No, you, you know... Not only site specific, but for example, there there are a lot of species that have different varieties of that uh-huh. species. Let's talk switchgrass, for example. Switchgrass, right now, everybody talks about that in bedding cover for whitetails, right? It's that time of year when that's keyword. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's talked about. So, switchgrass is not not all switchgrass is created equal. They're all fantastic, but they're all from different regions, different areas, and they have different benefits. You know, you get your Canlo switchgrass. It's going to stand up taller. It's going to be more cold, hardy, snow tolerant. So it's going to stand up full. You've got Alamo switchgrass, which is a more southern region. So it's going to be better in southern climates. You've got Nebraska 28. There's Cave and Rock. There's Blackwell. There's and these are all different varieties of switchgrass, right? So depending yeah. on your region or your area, we can get very site specific and provide not only the species but the variety of the species that mm-hmm. benefits from your soil type. Yes, and that's really huge because. Yeah, you can go online and you can buy something from Amazon or you can buy something from eBay. And just because it says the species you're looking for doesn't mean it's the variety or the site specific that's been established to your eco region. You know, you, there's there's a lot of seeds that get bought from Oregon and from Washington State. And while those species might even be the same species, they're adapted to those climates out there. So you bring that here into the Midwest, you bring that into Missouri, and the Missouri species is supposed to bloom in june and july but the organ species is blooming in may you know and yeah. march and in april and things like that and it throws off the pollinators mm-hmm. because the species that they're looking for isn't blooming at the right time so there's a lot of very site specific things that happen behind the scenes that a lot of people don't know about when they call us up and they say here's our property here's what we're looking for here's what we want a lot of people want a simple quick answer but it's not that simple or quick because you need to make sure that you're providing the right information and the right species and variety to go in their area and and that's a great a great explanation of it all and it not not to scare people away from it but but from a hey this is a custom seed shop like you talked about they have the people in-house to be able to make these judgment calls and and offer um, suggestions for the varieties to tailor make these seed blends for your property for your area right let, let basically let them go to work and and do that um and and then ensure that I've, I've got the right seed blend seed mixture you know population um 
know, seeds per acre, per square foot, excuse me. Yeah. And you're set and ready to go. So walk me through planting technique. A lot of times it's no-till drilling, but a lot of guys that listen to our podcasts are going to be, hey, I've got to, let's say I want to I want to improve the edge, which we talk so much about. Okay, um, I have a very hard, I've got 100-foot trees straight down a food plot, but I want to improve that. Maybe I'm doing some edge feathering. Hopefully so. Uh, they've if they've joined us for 98 podcasts or habitat podcasts, surely by now they're considering <laughs> edge feathering. I'd hope. And, uh, and so they're oh, I want to do some edge feathering, sure. but I also want to improve the edge and and maybe I'm planting the edge feathered blend, but I don't have a no-till drill. How can I do it? Sure. The the easiest way what I would do is I'm going to go through, and I'm going to take uh, you know sprayer whether it's backpack or you got an ATV side by side whatever spray that edge you know the the 30 feet or that 50 feet whatever you want to consider your edge to be spray that out you got to stop the competition that's that's the number one thing is is stopping the competition but once you're there at that point depending on the size the the length and the ground duff that's created after the spray so if you've got a lot of ground duff there you need to clear that off that can be done prior you can mow before you spray so you mow it Wait a week or so till everything starts to kind of green up and grow a little bit, and then spray it. But you need a shorter length. You can't have a lot of ground duff. The the key to any seed is seed to soil contact. Correct. Yep. So if you can if you can create that um, seed to soil contact, that you're going to be successful. Now, come through and spray it out, and with a little bit of ground duff there, you'll be fine. Broadcast it whether you've got a handheld broadcast spreader. Or again, ATV side by side tractor, whatever. Broadcast, spread that out there, and then come through with some kind of roller, uh, cultipacker. Even if you got to drive back and forth on it 40 or 50 times with your ATV or side by side, just ensure that you get that seed through the duff yeah. and down to the soil, and the rest is going to take care of itself. Should they return this spring and do, or this summer and do a mowing? Yeah, absolutely. You, you'll need to come back and mow. So you're going to get. As, as it starts to grow, especially warm season grasses are going to, you know, you're going to see some growth with them right away. I, I shouldn't say right away. You'll see growth with them the first year. You'll see, you know, several feet will grow. So you want to come through and mow probably somewhere in that June, uh, May, June, depending on how much growth you've got. It may even be later, but that first year you want to mow two or three times, keep it around that 10 inch height. So as it grows up to 16 or 18 inches, knock it back down eight or 10 inches. And then, you know, do that again. Give it a couple of weeks, three, four, five weeks to grow, cut it back down again. And then what that does is when you're doing that, you're you're continually clipping and cutting the annuals that are growing up and keeping them from growing a seed head. Gotcha. And, and that way they can't develop a seed. They can't, they can't extend their lineage by passing on seeds into the soil. So... But you're not hurting the natives. The natives are still developing the root system. That's the important part is developing the root. So once you knock that back down a couple times in, in the fall, they'll go dormant again. <clears throat> and then again, come the following year, you'll do it again. But they'll grow a little bit faster this time. They've got a larger root system. They're picking up a lot more stuff in the soil. So they'll grow quicker. You'll knock it down maybe two times that year, possibly three. It, usually one less mowing than you did the first year. Gotcha. And then by year three, mow it once or twice and just let it bloom into what it is. If it, Depending on what kind of edge blend you've got, if you want all grasses versus all forbs or any combination thereof, it's the same, the same gotcha. process. Yeah. 
Um, what about a guy who's already got a food plot established? Let's say there's turnips and cereal rye and oats, whatever, growing right up to the edge of the trees. Would you recommend spraying that before planting this winter, or would you let that continue to grow and then mow it in April or May? You know what? I, I would let that continue to grow. Chances are you're you're probably, if it's growing right up to the edge of the trees, it's probably not doing all, all that productive compared yeah. to the rest of the plot and, anyway. And that's exactly why we, we promote these type of perennials to where they're going to do better right up against the edge right yeah i mean that's that's what they've been doing for thousands of years so i would just leave it and and let it um let that stuff die out and handle your natives and and, you know plant right through it you're not going to do um you you might be putting yourself through a lot of i shouldn't say a lot of work you probably be putting yourself through work that's just not necessary gotcha okay what about uh broadcasting in the snow excellent I mean, as you guys have seen, native species the seeds are incredibly small. Mm-hmm. You don't want to if you're using a drill, you don't want to plant any deeper than a quarter of an inch, and that's kind of pushing it. You want more like an eighth of an inch. Really, again, seed to soil contact. Think about how Mother Nature did it, right? These these seeds would fall out of the the bloom, the seed head, or they'd get carried off by animals or whatever, and they drop to the ground, and that's it. They didn't they didn't get planted. They didn't get pushed into the soil a half an inch or anything. So yeah, you're talking about something that basically as long as it sets on top of the soil and gets lightly pressed into the soil, not even into it, just pressed, it's yeah. going to germinate. Even that's, that freezing thaw, frosting action, right? Can and, help. and that's even better, especially if you're if you're using uh, warm season grasses, because uh, the way that the warm season grasses are so much lighter. I mean, you guys picked up the bag of it's like yeah. a big pillow, right? Yeah. So warm season grasses are, are aren't going to settle as easily um, as the Forbes will. So having the snow there is actually going to draw it down into the ground better. But then also the snow is putting in the nitrogen into the ground too. So yeah. you're looking at, you know, having that natural nitrogen brought out of the air from the snow and put into the ground, which grasses thrive on having that extra nitrogen. So it's, it's even more of a benefit. Awesome. Um, I think like for us and a lot of guys, the, the plan is with the edge feathering blend, um, or tall screen blend or whatever it is, and you're planting it in a food plot. So you already have established um, turnips or whatever. You're going to wait for that snow to hit, broadcast sure. on top of the snow, let it pull it down in the soil, and then we'll be ready to mow in May or what before the before all the uh, turnips and everything go to seed, mow it back, and then mow it again a couple months later, and, and kind of that'll be the, the step, yeah. I guess, process. Because yeah, yeah. we've, we've sprayed for years to, to – basically kill out the weeds and so it's really just our our uh, food plots food that are plots, growing. Right. Yeah. so i sure hope uh all of our listeners they have basically zero excuse to have cabin fever cabin fever ever yeah because we have a long There's long list of things for them to do and that's this is the time it's, to it's always it's always habitat season right you can you can always be doing Absolutely. something for sure there's never a time to not be doing something and and we go to a lot of our properties on the consults and they're like you know like okay kind of looking Am I going to spend a lot of money, or are they going to lay out a ton of work? Usually, it's we're going to lay out a ton of work. Sure. And uh, so they always have something to do. Right. For sure. Keep them busy. That's Ain't right. That's right. Um, try to get their wives and their kids trained up on a chainsaw as well. So, that's right. Start them early. That's right. Yep. For yeah, and sure. And you know, and you know, you get the wife on your side, the kids on your side. It's more reason to go buy some more toys, right? That's right. Yeah. Hey, need time for a new saw. I get a, a smaller saw, so that way the wife's back's not hurting too uh-huh. much. Yeah. Get, get some new sure. bars and some new chains. It's it's yeah. a good time. 
What is the, uh, is there any other things? We're coming up 15, uh, 15 minutes left, and we, I've got a whole lot of surprises for you guys uh, that I've been thinking about this whole podcast. But is there anything else about planting techniques and things that sh- people should be aware of that may come to a shock to them, like when yeah. they're in it? Yeah, um, you know, one of the things that we like to do is, is um, we will also use a carrier with our seed mixes mm-hmm. for the drills or for even for broadcasting. And, and by carrier, I mean something that you can mix in with the seed so that the seed can be distributed evenly. Um, there's a lot of different seed sizes, especially when you get into warm season grasses. So um, you want something that can do that. We use, and, and there's a lot of different things you can use. You can use coconut husk. We use um, rice hulls. And what they'll do is they're, they're slightly cupped, but it'll carry seed. And in no-till drills, typically no-till drills want to run um, at something like something closer to 10 pounds an acre, right? Regardless of your seed mix, even if you're only supposed to put out 4 pounds an acre, they want to run and operate at 10 pounds an acre, or 10 pounds in there. So they just need a, 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 a higher density uh, mixture in there. So we will oftentimes use something like rice hulls to bulk up the density in the drill so that it runs smoothly. So if you're if you're thinking about doing some kind of broadcasting or, or even a drill, consider um, you know contacting us or talking to somebody about adding a carrier to it. Rice hulls are incredibly cheap. There's a lot of carriers that are really cheap. You know, I know um, some guys have done this in the past, and, and we don't necessarily recommend it, but it can work, is mixing a little bit of sand or, or you know, some folks have used kitty litter and some other different things like that. A lot of times running some of that coarse material through the drills isn't, you know, great on the drills. It wears them out. What about lime? Quicker. I mean, I know we're not looking at – I'm just think, trying to think of something that's quick and easy to get to. Um, if you had extra or something. If you had extra. Do, sure. you, do you see people use, like, pelletized lime mixed in? We haven't a whole lot, only because – Typically with natives, you're not worried about buying and, and putting lime out, yeah. right? So yeah. um, it's you can, but again, it's it's an extra expense that's and pelletized lime is a lot more expensive than yeah. rice hulls. I mean, rice hulls yeah. are, you know, a few dollars. Well, I'm just to, I'm just curious because we're miles and miles and miles from the nearest rice field. <laughs> yeah, that's true, but <laughs> you know that we we do uh, we Man's do got to drive in. to Arkansas just to get rice holes to mix into it. I don't know. You There's know, probably hardware stores or somewhere that sells rice holes. You know, I don't, you don't, know. I don't think you have to get all the way to Arkansas. The Boot Hill's got quite a bit of rice fields well, out there. Well, Arkansas is closer. <laughs> For you guys, sure. <laughs> For us, yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah. That's interesting. I, 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 know, I wondered I about that. I a group that. of guys down in Stuttgart, they probably got a little bit extra probably. rice holes. Probably. They yeah, sell that I, stuff I think down we, there. Oh, yeah. I think we've come full circum- circle to the other Justin, right? That, that's <laughs> right. One of the other. Yeah. That's right. Um, anything else? That you can think of. No, really, that's that's we kind of covered the main stuff, and uh, and the rice hulls are, are adding a carrier to bulk up your mix is really, you know, we even even in broadcasting, whether you've got a like a Vicon tractor, you know, three point spreader, or you've got a hand spreader, if you bulk up that density, even when broadcasting, you can see the rice hulls, and you can see so you you know that you've covered this area. Sometimes yeah. it's difficult to see with the drill. You can see the lines, and you can see where you've been, but if you're broadcasting, you can't see that. Rice hulls are a little bit bigger. They're shaped sort of like a kidney bean. Um, and, and so you'll be able to see the area that you're covering gotcha. a lot easier. And also, if you're broadcasting, don't do it when it's a windy day out. These yeah. seeds will blow away, and you, you'll end up seeding somebody else's property some, you know, much further away than what you wanted to. So yeah. make sure you have ideal conditions so you don't that would be, lose you know, your seed. That's a totally different um, way of, of looking at it. I mean, we – 
I have that hat that says we all live downstream. And, mm. and usually you see somebody planting an, an invasive, and he's like, ah, and it's taking his birds are carrying the seed to the neighbor. This is where you're you're planting the neighbor's pasture or your neighbor's field with a very, very fine and awesome seed. Right. I, I guess that's paying it forward. It, you you know, say, that, you're welcome, neighbor. Yep, you're welcome. paying it forward. Yeah, yeah. you know, and, and unfortunately – if you got that neighbor who starts to see the stuff grow up, but it doesn't have a bloom on it yet, it'll just get cut, sprayed, and yeah. There's a tilled weed in or disc. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. that's what'll happen. What's this thing with this purple bloom? And there's all these butterflies floating. Around. Better spray it. Right. Yeah. Cattle yeah. don't eat that. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna spray it out. <laughs> yeah. So what's it work? What's it like working in a um, a, a company or an industry that is? I mean, you work. You're dealing with deer hunters. You're dealing with prairie enthusiasts you're dealing with and uh, probably a lot of an- some anti-hunters um sure. that are more like garden and butterfly minded and what is it like i mean you 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 touch so many different people i'm sure it's it's a thrill to be in this sort of in this business it's exciting you know there, there's a lot of really passionate people out there so uh, you can get into these very long drawn out conversations with folks that want to talk about species and, and what they've discovered on their property and what they yeah what they're trying to do and 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 what it all boils down to is everybody's passionate about their land regardless yeah. of mm-hmm. their use whether they're hunting or they just you know they just want to see species but they're anti-hunters or um you know the the cattlemen and the ranchers and the livestock guys i mean there's there's so many different ways to benefit from having these species out there that i get to talk to those people and and it and everybody's passionate about it. So they may have different reasons for it and different purposes, but it's a, it's it's definitely exciting cuz you you're always talking to these different folks and and one of the best parts about my job too is being able to help people make improvements on their land. I mean, you guys know it as well as I do that when you have when you have the ability to go out and do something on your land, most people are excited to do it. They're not just doing it because oh, they're yeah. You know, they have to or, or, you know, somebody told me, you know, they, they, they're the not reluctant. making me plan Right. They're, they're not doing it reluctantly, right? They're mm-hmm. excited about what they're doing yep. and, and they want to do it as best they can. And so I get to, you know, I get to talk to those people and have those conversations every day. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. For sure. Yeah. Um, not, to, not to jump the gun, but just as a quick little segue, someone who does want to ask you questions, how do they get in touch with you? Well, they can email me. Um, that's probably the easiest way as I'm traveling a lot. So you guys know, mm-hmm. um, my email address is justin at pureairnatives.com. That's pretty easy to remember since we talked about the, the many Justins out there, right? That's justin right. at pureairnatives.com. You can, you can try at the office too. Their office is 636-357-6433. Ask for me, but it is trade show season and I will be on the road a lot. Where can they see you? Oh, let's see. This week we're going to be at the Great Plains Growers Conference. Um, Next week we'll be at the Western. The week after that we'll be at Illinois Parks and Rec. The following week is MNRC, then NWTF. And and NWTF, we're actually going to be there. Yeah, that's that's what uh, I hear. Right here. Everybody, yeah, we'll be with you guys. Um, What's that booth number? Do you remember off the top of your head? I believe it is booth number 2223. Okay. I hope. So, and it's over in the – it's probably on the side where there's a lot of the – I think you said you're by NRCS. and Yeah. 
Yeah, so it's kind of over in the area yes. where two, there's two, a lot two, of information three. to gain over in there. So yeah, we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be side by side with the NRCS folks, and and they do a, a great job of providing a lot of information to people, and and you know those guys are the ones that uh, help put together programs and seed plans and forestry plans and things like that for landowners. So, um, you know, it, it's gonna be great for us to have a conversation with somebody and say take four steps to your left and talk to those guys about the programs, you know, <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. right, you're right here. So, absolutely. and, and I believe you guys will be joining us as well. That's so. right. And we'll yeah. have some, hopefully some hats in stock too. So yeah, it'll, it'll be a good time. Yeah, for sure. I'm looking forward to it. Um, all right. So let's ask some questions here. Natives, what's your, out of all the stuff, different things, do you have a favorite native grass? Favorite native grass? Uh, I do. And, uh, it's little blue stem. And I think it's because um, you get the you get the bunch grass right, which is beneficial to a lot of of, of species that live on the ground. You know, yep. mammals and birds, uh, ground nesting birds. But I love rabbits, and and rabbits really enjoy having habitat that they can get through. That, that you know, you, you start to get into the species that have the the single stem. You know, your big blue stem, your switchgrass, all those. Those are great for a lot of species, but if it becomes too thick, rabbits don't want to get. They can't get through it as easy. So, yeah. Uh, and little blue is beneficial in a lot of other ways too, um, not just for rabbits and ground nesting birds. You know, I like I enjoy the the lower profile. I'm not, you know, I'm not sure why being six foot five, I can pretty much see over a lot of species, but, but <laughs> the little Justin, blue, you're not hiding in little blue, right? That I, I enjoy being able to look out over, over an area and see little blue. And, um, so I think that's probably my, my favorite name. Matt, you got one. Honestly, I'm a big fan of the Indian grass. I, I think height wise, it's awesome. I love the seed head. And then that orange rusty tone to it that gets during the fall time. Beautiful. I, I got to go with a little blue as well, just because of the the wide range it has. Um, and then also just the fact that it's kind of that, it's pretty, you see it in a lot of places mm-hmm. occurring native uh, naturally. Um, but it, once again, it's kind of that quail, that quail hunt in the little blue. You wade through much Indian grass and big blue stem, that kind of. That's annoying after a while. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like it's almost the underdog of the of the native grasses. It right? is. It, it's it's not only is it in the name, you know, little yeah. blue stem and the underdog, but but it's uh it, it's right up there with all the other native grasses. But it, it just gets overlooked because it's not tall enough. Mm-hmm. Yep, for sure. Uh, native. What's your favorite native like wildflower? New England aster. Oh yeah, yeah. That is a good I, one. I you know there's there's something about that. It's there's a lot of blooms per plant, per species. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's on the monarch-approved, uh, USDA monarch-approved species list, so it's a very good pollinator for a lot of different things. And in Missouri, we have a lot of yellow wildflowers. There's yeah. there's a lot. Yeah. This is not yellow, but it incorporates a little bit of yellow. So it's it's the purple uh, bloom, and, and it's got a yellow center in it, and there's a lot of them per species. Or, or um, I'm sorry, per plant. There's a whole lot of blooms per plant. So I really... I, you know, and it's it's a little bit taller too. You get up into that four foot range or so, maybe even a little bit taller in some areas. So, um, you know, it's a nice showy species, and and it's tall and provides a lot of benefit. Matt, you got one. I'm going plain Jane and generic, but of course he's very vanilla. I am goldenrod. I love mm-hmm. the yellow in the fall. Which one? That's what I said. I'm just going plain Jane because okay. there's a bunch. I love that one again. The height. And then that beautiful yellow color during the fall time. I can't beat it. Hmm. 
I, it's really tough for me. I, I have a hard time. Purple hey, Prairie I Clover. You were, you were just. Yeah, I love New England Asher, and then uh, of course I love. I'm gonna go with one. Um, uh, I like milkweed. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Yeah. No, I have a really hard time ever saying kind of narrowing down. I love Indian paintbrush. Mm. Um, I, I I think that one is just absolutely beautiful. So I, I I'll just list off a couple right there and say sure. those are the mine. Do you have one that's like not really considered a wildflower? That is in the Forb family. It's just a Forb. Well, I I tell you one that one that um, doesn't get a whole lot of play in in the flower side of things. It's not a showy species as yeah. much as others. Is partridge pea? Yeah. I mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I love the fact that it's that it's something you're going to find in in more of a savanna and more you know you're going to find it in a woody area. It's not necessarily you can certainly find it out in the middle of field growing. It does mm-hmm. do that too. But the, I think that's the unpredictable nature of it the goes of the in partridge a wide pea variety. and and because it's such a beneficial uh, species for wild for wildlife. Yeah. You know, it it's got a couple of little yellow flowers on it. It blooms. It looks but it's it's not tall. You're not going to get a 6 foot or 4 foot tall. You know, it's going to be kind of yeah. hidden in the ground and so um yeah, I would say a partridge pea is kind of my. You know another cool. I think flower. Yeah. Kinda in, in that same range, height-wise, is sensitive briar. Yep. Mm-hmm. That very like spherical, purple. Yep. Sensitive briar is cool. I think one of my, f- one of my, th- my favorite, the one I was asking, Illinois bundleflower. That's that's nice. been a big mm-hmm. thing. So it can get kind of tall. It provides a oh, ton of seed. It's got a really cool seed pod. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of see that in those kind of road ditches and a little bit disturbed sites and uh, extremely beneficial to quail and other birds. So that's and, my go-to. And, you know, that's that's a – you make a point there, too. You know, if you want to uh, create a stand of, of warm-season grasses for bedding and for cover, um, you know, throw in a couple of forbs like an Illinois bundle flower and some other things because that's a browse species for, mm-hmm. for wildlife. I mean, that's going to be something that's going to benefit from being out there not only is it going to help the grass species in your your grass stand, but also on the reverse side, you know they're going to be able to feed off of that. the The forb is actually going to benefit from being out there too. So um, it, it's a good partnership, and it provides a little bit of that browse as the deer's literally in its bedroom or you know bedding exactly. area. So and it's not that like they're going to search out Illinois bundle flower like a food plot. Like right. I think a lot of guys. Well, why would I want my why would I want food in my bedding area? I don't right. want them. I want them coming out and going to my food plot. Well, they're not. They're still going to do that. Yeah. But you're just supplementing. Right. Um, and if anything, you're you're getting them up earlier in the day, so they're gonna they're gonna get up and start moving a little bit earlier because they got food right next to them, mm-hmm. and they're gonna browse. So they're gonna they're gonna spend an extra thirty seconds moving through there. Yeah. You know, eating and chewing on a couple of things. That thirty seconds. When you're when you're drawing back on your bow and you're trying to hold it, that thirty seconds could mean everything. It could yeah. mean, you know, the the extra time you needed for that, you know, buck to turn broadside or whatever it is. So, you know, any, is the, anything you can do to keep that deer on your property longer. That's right. And <laughs> and another thing about that is it's it's just more food that could be uh, still available during those oh, stressful yeah. times, late winter, early spring. It could be something where uh, because they're eating those. Illinois bundleflower, they're not eating eating your food plot in the dirt, or right. they're not eating woody browse somewhere else to where that's still available for months later. So, um, I man, you can't go wrong with planting native native diversity. Right. Um, we sure don't think so. No, and I mean, 
Nature doesn't think so either. Nope. So, uh, they've been doing a pretty good that, job of it for, that's for a long time. That's the end all judge, too, right there. That's right. Uh, I, don't, I don't really have any more final thoughts. Um, Justin, you got anything Anything else you want to add? No, you know, I think it's it's been a great day. I appreciate you guys coming out and meeting with us so we can uh, have a little bit of fun and, and see how this stuff's done, right? See, Absolutely. That's right. See how it's made. I mean, you think, think about driving down the road. Obviously, everything's pretty dormant right now, but how many uh, patches of native native plants and diversity do we drive by getting here i can think of zero that i noticed which is Regrettably. sad yeah. yes yeah <laughs> you know i mean uh Very any number we would have said over over one or two would have been you know a lie yeah i mean sure. there there may have been something out there it was dark for some of the drive coming out this morning but um there's well, certainly not enough and the other thing too probably the most diversity and native plants that we saw were in the road ditches oh yeah Road ditches or medium. Plenty of sunlight that is a fescue fields of cropland. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you're not you're not running your cattle through the uh, through the ditches on the side of the road, and yep. you know nobody's hunting in that. Well, there are some there are some road hunters and <laughs> some ditch hunters that. <laughs> yeah, be but, hesitant uh, on that. But they're not planting that. And one thing, when people like, well, why are the cows like? Why aren't you great? One thing about the natives is. There's a lot of time of the year where they would select out the native species before they would eat fescue fescue grass. Um, especially if you watch a cow go into a, a stand that's got some native plants, uh, some native weeds and grasses, they're going to eat those quicker than they would the, the fescue pas- the fescue grass. Right. So, um, no, I think it was great. And I uh, always enjoy seeing seeing the conservation work you guys are doing. And uh, thanks for thanks for coming on the podcast once again. And uh, hopefully everybody enjoyed it. Once again, they can contact you at Justin at Pure Air. Natives.com. Natives.com. Yes, and then what's the website? PureNatives.com? Yes, it is. There you go. And, and mention uh, Land and Legacy. You guys will get a discount as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you guys, uh, if you're listening to the podcast and you need something, give us a call, send me an email, and we'll get things rolling, and uh, you'll get a discount with the mention in Land and Legacy. So nice little Nice little opportunity for you there, and I believe uh, we will be talking again at NWTF. That's right. That's right. All right, guys, we'll catch you next time. See ya.